This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. A rising star in the new generation of Asian American journalists. My name is Amy Cho. I am a general assignment reporter at NBC4 here in Washington, D.C. Smart, energetic, and real. I grew up in Fairfax County and went to Langley High School, so it has been such a pleasure and an honor getting to report in my hometown. I am super passionate about meeting people in the community and raising awareness about issues that matter. These days, of course, as many of us know, unfortunately, anti-Asian hate continues to be a huge issue around the country. I have been extremely dedicated to making sure Asian American voices are heard, and I strive every single day to tell important stories in a fair way and help make a difference in the community. Coming up in this episode of The war in Ukraine and the racial implications of evacuation. I started getting calls from my parents a lot more saying, hey, maybe you may need to think about getting out of Ukraine. Maurice Mo Creek is a professional basketball player, a black man from the Washington, D.C. area. And his attempts to get out of Ukraine turned from hopeful to desperate. I kind of felt down and helpless, like when my assistant coach tried to get me across the bridge one day and I thought I was getting out and it was all guards on the bridge with guns like, you want to turn this car around. He was lucky, but he knows others, because of their race, were not so lucky. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting. Injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Polish, German, English, French, born in California, moved to Colorado, now in Ohio. My name is John Yang. I'm Chinese-American. I grew up in Chicago and was born in Taipei, Taiwan. My name is Lily Quiroz, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm Black. And this is Colors. Since the war in Ukraine began, we've heard lots of harrowing stories about people who've been killed, people who have lost loved ones, people whose homes have been destroyed, and the desperate effort by Ukrainian military forces to push back Russian aggressors. Another story caught up in this is a very different narrative. It's about how people were trying to escape Ukraine. We know that some 10 million people have fled the place. We also know that there are some complications for certain people of certain races. One of those people who ran into complications joins us. He's a pro basketball player from Oxon Hill, Maryland. His name is Maurice Creek. And Maurice has a very interesting story to tell us about his escape from Ukraine. Mo, I saw your story and it was kind of hard to believe that in the midst of 
all this tragedy that's going on in Ukraine, another one was unfolding inside of that. And that is people of color were having trouble getting out while other people who were not of color were welcomed. Uh, And so I wanted to talk to you about your story. Could you first tell me when you realized something was wrong in Ukraine and that you needed to leave? Well, when I first got there, um, there was assumptions that there was something that was going to happen within between Russia and Ukraine. But um, me playing in the league for two years prior, um, they'd already had assumptions well on in. And um, I didn't take it as if it was going to happen at first. Um, as time started to go on, maybe a couple of weeks after I got there, you start hearing about it more on, um, you know, on the news. You started getting, I started getting calls from my parents a lot more um, saying, hey, maybe you may need to think about getting out of Ukraine. And um, me, I was already on the fence of thinking about it, but at the same time, I still was worried about playing basketball and, you know, trying to do what I can do as far as me um, helping the team win and, you know, getting getting better opportunities for next year. So I was on the fence of both. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't until like maybe a couple of days before I had signed my uh, my contract in Qatar for Qatar that I was like, yeah, I need to leave. And I talked to my agent about it. And um, he was already on the fence of, you know, already getting me another job. He had got me that job in Qatar. I had signed it and everything like that. And all we were doing was waiting, um, you know, for the flight information and stuff. And, you know, having my papers terminated and trying to get all the paperwork that I needed to end up leaving that I could so I could play immediately when I got to my other job. Mm -hmm. So step us through what happened when you began that process, when it when you realize, okay, I got to get up now. I have to go now. Um, So step us through that process of what took place. And when you realize you're going to have a problem getting out. So the day of the um, of the war was the day I was supposed to get out for Qatar. And my vice president of the team was supposed to have me in a car with my bags. He's supposed to drive me across the uh, the bridge. And uh, I was supposed to get to one of the borders and get out. And what ended up happening was he was close to my house. And um, he literally had to turn around three minutes prior to being to my house because the sirens started going off. And, you know, when the sirens go off, that means it's war related. So now I have to go back upstairs he has to go to, you know, say his apartment building. And um, we could not get out that day. You know, it sucked because I was so amped up to go to Qatar. And for it not to happen, it just really made me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I understood that now I was in a war. Yeah. So, all right. The, you, you tried it again. And I think you, if I'm correct, you eventually started the process of getting out. And then something went wrong. So tell us what happened. So during the process of trying to get out, um, my coach from Sideline Cancer, which is uh, my team in the summertime when I played in TBT, he told me, um, I got this guy, his name is Eric Norberg. He's a Green Beret, and he's going to 
figure out a way, a way to get you out. And I was excited because I was like, you know, I didn't want to be here. I, I was trying to get out as immediately as possible, knowing that now it's things that's happening that's war related. And I'm now I'm not a war veteran. I'm a basketball player. Mm-hmm. So um what ended up happening it was, you know, he had plans for me to get out and things were just not falling through. And he told me that was gonna happen throughout the process, but me being uh impatient. Um, you know, my life is on the line now. You know, I'm hearing bombs. I'm getting uh, uh, reports of shellings and stuff like that. And, you know, this is something that I'm not used to. And, uh, you know, I, I was being impatient about it. Um, it was plans like maybe I need to buy a car. Maybe I need to uh, find another ride. Uh, see if I can get a uh, see if I can rent a boat and uh, get across the bridge uh, to the sea. But a lot of those plans were um, were not falling through. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of felt down and helpless. Like when my assistant coach tried to get me across the bridge one day and I thought I was getting out and um, it was all guards on the bridge with guns. Like you want to turn this car around. Yeah. Going to shoot. <laughs> So that day I was like, man, I, I can't, I can't really fathom that I'm still here yeah. in a war and uh, everybody else is gone. Like I'm the last American left. So when did you, or did you come to the realization that the, that there were people of color that were not being allowed out because of their race? Well, see, I, I had nothing to, you know what I'm saying? Nothing has happened to me, but I have been hearing stories that, you know, there, there have been people of color who were not being able to get on trains. Uh, they were getting kicked out of certain situations where they could where it'd make it easier for them to go. And it surprised me because these people have never done nothing like that to me. Like when I'm going moving or whatever I do uh, in Ukraine, I feel like I'm at peace. So I never had, you know, somebody do anything racism, like racism or uh, having racism towards me, which is um, I'm appreciative of because, you know, you don't want to go through that either, you know, and you're American and stuff. So you don't really know wherever you go, you don't know what it's about. But uh, for me, I'm just happy that I never had to go through anything like that. But I'm sad for the people that did, though. So what kind of stories did you hear from these people or about these people? Did you hear directly from anybody that was impacted that way? No, um, I just have been seeing it on like the news channels and stuff um, where, you know, they were trying to get the the Ukrainian kids and uh, women out uh, first. But, you know, it's it's, um, men and women of color that are trying to get out, you know, saying for their lives, too. And they weren't letting them on. And. When I seen it, I was just like, yeah, that's kind of a crazy thing because, you know, everybody's trying to get off for their lives, not just yeah. Ukraine, but everybody that's here. And again, I'm just happy I never had to go through that. So looking back at the time you spent in Ukraine, you I think you've alluded to this already. You've never had any kind of uh, racist treatment, at least overtly uh, directed at you. Is that right? Yeah, I never had it. When I, I, when I look at Ukraine, I look at people of like they're 
precious to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they've always made me feel like home. I mean, Ukrainians are serious people. That's how they look. But at the end of the day, when you get to know who they are and how they are, you know, they um they're they're people just like us and they actually want to learn more about me than you know and i that makes me intrigued to learn more about them even if i have to google translate or something like that towards them they it's the fact that they want to make conversation and uh and have you know something to have a conversation with me i'm a quiet person so i don't just go up to people trying to have a conversation but you know i've had people come up to me and ask me questions about you know what am i doing here how am i doing here do i like it here and that that helps out a lot you know saying that me not being from the country so as you look at what's taking place now, um, well, before I get to that, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts about how this city, this country is just being destroyed by the Russian military. Um, I want to go back to your interactions with other people of color while there. How often and uh, did you engage with other people of color, um, black people, um, folks from America or anywhere? Um, and, 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 and were, well, that was my question. Were they American or who were they? Well, the only people that I had that was my color was the people that was on different teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really looked at or had anybody that wasn't a basketball player that uh, was a, was my color. And that's why I, I never got a chance to interact with nobody that could have possibly had, I mean, been in that type of state of mind because everybody's a basketball player. Everybody had, um, it wasn't impossible to get out or never went through that type of situation. So um, I really can't speak upon, uh, you know, what that was like because I can, I don't have no information towards it because I, I never got to somebody who's been a part of that. You know what I mean? The yeah. only people that I really speak to that was, was my teammates or, you know, people that I know from the league that's also of my color. How did this experience or how will this experience um, impact your thoughts about playing overseas now? Uh, It impacts it a lot. You know, um, you know, I love the game of basketball. Uh, I would love to play it in the States now, you know, that I'm back in the States. Hopefully I get an opportunity. Um, If that doesn't happen, I don't know what's going to happen for me going overseas. That's the million dollar question that everybody wants to know. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that me and my family are going to have to talk about at the end of the day. You know, I love the game and I know that um, this game has provided a lot for me and my family. And um, but my life is first. You know what I mean? My life is first and basketball comes second. So um, if I decide not to go back overseas and then I don't get the opportunity within the States, then it's the next part of my life that has to transpire. And uh, I'm, I would be sad because I know that I have uh, plenty of years left to play, but at the same time, I, I also got to think about it. Like I never want to be in that type of predicament or state ever again, you know, and yeah. it hurts every other country because I mean, I know that, it was only the Ukraine that we're, t- we're hearing about now, but it's other things happening in other countries that we don't know about. So how is that going to impact you? And uh, I'm kind of hearing a little bit of compassion and maybe some activism in your voice there. How is this situation going to impact that? Uh, you know, I just, 
again, because I've been doing this for a very long time, it's sad to even think about, you know, me thinking about, wow, I may think about retiring overseas basketball because of something that happened in Ukraine that we had nothing to do with. You know, we come over there to play a sport and to make money for me and my family and then get a better opportunity for the next job coming up or stay with the same team come next year. But, you know, because of somebody's gaining power, it kind of derails, you know what I'm saying, somebody's opportunity to play the game as long as they could possibly play it overseas. You know what I'm saying? And it sucks. It's sad. And it, it also sucks that, you know, I was only there for a month and a half. I was only over there for a month and two weeks. I'm sorry. And I built a brotherhood and a bond with these guys, mm-hmm. you know? And when you go and play overseas basketball, you are building a brotherly bond with these people every year you go out. You know what I'm saying? These are some of the people you may never forget in your life. It don't matter if you never see them again or not. Like social media talks, uh, you know, phone calls are going to be made and stuff. And, you know, we may never see each other again, but we'll always have a chance to communicate. But yeah. that's the brotherly bond we we you know what I'm saying we convive with each other and uh it's like I said, it's just sad for me to had to go that quick, knowing that I already dealt with them for a month and two weeks and you know, playing a couple of games with them, a few games with them and um now understanding that they, you know, they trying to figure out a way to get out, you know, they trying to get an exempt letter to get out of Ukraine because they're basketball players as well, not soldiers. So this is part of what I wanted to ask you about next. Um, I guess I should go back to what you were saying about you actually getting out. Um, so first, I'll ask you two questions. First, um, you know, tell me when you realized the moment uh, that you were going to actually get out, how you felt once you got out. But then um, after that, I wanted to ask you the second follow-up, the follow-up question to that about, um, you know, a lot happened in six weeks, basically, that you were there. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the place you were actually in, the region that you were in. So when the moment that you got out, um, uh, does that still, I mean, was that a moment you'll never forget? Of course, because the road was like unforgivable. You know what I mean? Like I never would have thought that that road would be so scary in my life. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, the day that I got out was the day Eric Norberg told me that I was going to get out. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't his plans that, that got me out. It was another plan that was set up in play that we I had no clue about. It just actually kind of transpired. And so, so basically, Mo, they had to slip you out. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they it was more so like I had to get in the car with my assistant coach's wife and, 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 uh, and sister. They were going to the same border as me. Um, we all were going to the same spot. So we they had a private driver. Uh, and the, the bridge at this moment was open because that was the that was the day the peace treaty was trying to happen between Russia and, and Ukraine, where they had this meeting uh, trying to say maybe we need to slow this war down or something like that, trying to get, you know what I'm saying, trying to get confirmation. Yeah, so what, what day was that? What date? Do you remember the date? I really don't remember the date. I know I, I finished off. Was this the first peace uh, conversation? Because they've done it a couple of times. Was this the first one? That they I had? think it was the first one. Maybe it might, I think it was probably February. It was late yeah. February okay. going into March when it when that happened. When I got out, it was late February. I think I got back to um, home March 3rd. I spent a couple of days in Romania. So right. I think it was maybe like the 28th when that 
right. peace treaty happened and that was the day I got okay. out. Okay, so I interrupted you. You were telling me you're in this car, private car, and you're going across the bridge and go ahead. Yeah, and you can just see the, the soldiers with guns. When you get across the bridge, you got to uh, now go through checkpoints. Um, you got to have your passport on you at all times. Make sure that that you can see your face and everything as clear as possible, fast as possible, because everybody was trying to do the same thing. The soldiers got guns. You can just see how they had the bricks in the road, the the sandbags in the road for cover. Um, you can see, like, the shellings on the road from when they were shooting. You can see the bomb where the bombs hit, because I was going through Odessa, and Odessa was oh. a hot spot. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it was a hot spot. So... Um, so you, yeah. So you were playing in Mikolaev, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that makes total sense. That's very close to Odessa. Right. Wow. So that really was a hot spot at the time. Yeah. And yes, that was the way that I had to go to get out. Okay. And I was scared every second that I was in that car. Cause you know, you know what I mean? You just never know. And you have seen a lot of stuff that you never seen. I had never seen a tank in person. I didn't never see, I never seen none of that. You know what I mean? I just, Always, you you hear about it, you you know what I'm saying, watch movies about it, play video games about it, but to actually see it in real life, I've never even thought in a million years that I would ever see anything like that in, in my life, other than me going to a museum or something and actually learning about the history. But for me to actually drive through and understand, like, these people got bulletproof vests on. They, yeah. they got kids out here with guns, you know what I mean? They got... 14, 15 year olds out there with guns in their hand waiting to fight. And that's, you know what I'm saying? I knew it was real. Me having to go through six checkpoints and see the same thing. Me having to go through a roundabout, but it's so much traffic because everybody's trying to get out. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, when I got to the border of, Maldav- of the Moldavian border, the last car was about 15 miles away from the Moldavian border. So it just shows you how many people were trying to get out. And, um, yeah. I had to, I got dropped off. So I got dropped off with my bags and everything like that. So I'm just expecting to be kind of quicker to get through because, you know, they're driving. They, it might take a longer road, but in all honesty, I found out that standing in that line was even more long, going to be more longer than uh, the drive. And yeah, it took nine hours for me to get out of that more David boy. So nine. You, you, you were in, wow, you were in line for a good part of that standing in line, right? Oh, yeah, I was in line the whole time. So I was, uh, what was available for you and other people like you in that line? I mean, clearly, you know, you need some comforts there, you know, water, food, that kind of thing. What was available once you got in that line? Oh, yeah, they had they had food and water. You know, they had uh, like hot teas. They had good food. They had blankets for certain people. They didn't have a lot of blankets. So if you didn't have one, you just didn't get one mm-hmm. uh, or you had to share one with somebody. But of course, everybody don't know everybody. So uh, who's going to share that with somebody that they don't know? And it was freezing cold. It was windy outside and all the wind was just shooting right through my clothes. And I'm just freezing just sitting there freezing. You see kids out there freezing to death. Like it was just bad. You know, I would just, I would think that they, they knew that it was supposed to be a quick process, but they took their time trying to figure out everybody was trying to get out. And it was bad. You know, people were bombarding people to try to get in the gate because they was, they wanted to get through so bad so they can get to their people that, um, they didn't care who else was in the back of that line. 
So, you know, I was going to ask you another question, but uh, in, in the interest of time, I'm going to ask something that I think is more important, though, and that is, what are you going to do with this experience moving forward? Because you're a young man. There are other young men and women out there that are doing things overseas, professional sports. You know, you know the story of Brittany Griner right now. Um, she's stuck in Russia right now, unfortunately. So my question is, what will you do with this experience? Do you have plans on using this experience to engage with other young athletes or just other young people or just people in general? Because this is a hell of a story. Of course. Um, the more people that know about this type of stories is the better, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand that playing basketball, any type of basketball that you do, it's a business. You know what I mean? I've learned a lot, uh, with this experience, but also with the team, you know what I mean? When you go overseas, um, you're all alone. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if they say they got you or not. You never know. I thought the team was going to have me. Um, not saying that people didn't help me get out. Like Coach Terry, my assistant coach, he helped me out a lot within the process. The head coach, he helped me out a lot throughout the process. But it also was stated that I was going to have a plan to get out if something was to happen. That plan never, you know what I'm saying, took place. And the man that said that was the president of the team. He never, I had, when this war started, I didn't see him ever again. Mm. I didn't get a call from him ever again. So wow. what, what I want to take throughout this process, I'm going to write a book about this. Okay. You know, I, I'm a lot of things I'm, I'm holding out on a lot because when the book comes out, everything will be in the book. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, if you know what I'm saying? I want to have a movie about this because have a movie done about this, to show people that this ain't this everything ain't peaches and cream when it comes to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You play basketball. Um, like I said, it's a lot of business that goes through this. And you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's uh my life over his life or and not worrying about what you know what I'm saying. They didn't worry about me. he didn't, I don't think the president worried about me when uh it was time for war. I think he was worried about his family and what he had to do for his family. You know what I mean? But yeah. you bought me here to play basketball. You know what I mean? You bought you took me from the United States and bought me to make a life. You know? So it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Um I know a lot of people didn't never have never been in the side of a war. Now you get to understand what it was like when you hear my story. So uh I guess for me, I want to talk to people. I want to talk to kids. You know what I'm saying? That think, you know, everything is, oh, I'm not going to get to the NBA. I'm going to go overseas. Well, you need to understand what it is when you go overseas because it yeah. ain't what yeah. you think it is. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, speaking arrangements for 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 teams, um, for schools, I, I want to do a lot. You know what I'm saying? The more people that know about what just happened to me, the better. Yeah. You know? You know, this is really interesting that you mentioned that. And uh, I have a couple of friends who, over the years, who played basketball overseas, and they have essentially recounted the same story to me many years ago. Um, you know, it sounds glamorous. You go overseas, but, you know, going over to play for Mikolaev or, you know, whatever other team you're playing for in a foreign country, it's not like playing for the Celtics or the Lakers. It's not like playing here. I mean, the money is not great, uh, that great. Um, it's clearly uh, a good job and, and, you know, it's good enough and, you know, depend on who you are and what you do and how well you do what you do. But I mean, and it's not even about the money. It's just about the, the culture in those places. 
And the other things that a lot of people don't think about when they think about going to Rome to play basketball, it sounds glamorous. It sounds, you know, like, hey, this is the life. It could be, but it may not be. And I think what I hear you saying is that you want to prepare these people for that. Is that right? For sure. I mean, I was never prepared. I was always taught, you know, if I go, don't go, don't make it to the NBA, the next best thing is going overseas and playing basketball. But nobody told me none of the stories about overseas basketball. Nobody said, hey, are you sure? You know what I'm saying? You want to go through not getting paid on time? You want to go through, uh, if you don't play well by percentages, you get cut. You do you, you actually want to go through a lot of the things that people have to go through. I mean, look at my story now. You know what I mean? Like, of course, a lot of people don't know up even half of the information that I have told, but you know, you get the logistics of what happened. Do you want to go through that? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, it's it's some people say, yeah, until they actually in it. You're all alone, no family, you better be able to cook. Or you're going to be spending money on food. You know what I mean? Or, you know what I mean? It's it's a lot that goes into this that people need to understand. And you've done it, uh, Mo Creek. Uh, you've told us about the story. And I am so thankful that you're okay and that you're out. And um, for our listeners and viewers, uh, Maurice Creek is from our area. We're in Washington, D.C. And Prince George's County is just right outside of here. There are many, 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 many very talented basketball players that have come out of this region for many years, going back to Elgin Baylor and beyond that, you know, and he's just one of the latest ones in this long line of tremendously talented people. But I can guarantee you few, if any, few, if any, have a story like this one to tell. And Mr. Creek, I'm glad you chose the, uh, took, took the opportunity to talk to us about your, your story. Thank you for having me. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, I just want to say thank you to the people, you know what I mean, that kept me alive. They 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 don't understand that they had so much, you know what I'm saying, they was just as much as part of me getting out to anybody, you know, people, my, my mother, my father, my family, my friends, people that were praying for me and asking what could they do for me on social media. I know them or if I don't know them, you know what I'm saying, everything counts and I'm never ungrateful for anything, you know what I mean? I'm... I'm always grateful because, like, I, I always was taught this. Like, my parents always told me that the time that you're ungrateful about something, it'll always shoot right back at you. And and karma is real. Karma is real. And, uh, you know, they always told me appreciate everything. The time you don't appreciate something, it'll be taken away from you. There you go. Well, clearly, you know, big things are coming for you. And big things are happening right now. So um, thank you again for joining us. And, uh We'll be there. We'll we'll continue to follow your story, my friend. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. I'm Christopher Cruz. I'm white, 62, and I live in the D.C. area. I was born and raised in Maine at that time and today the whitest state in the nation. But we lived near a military base and were neighbors with a black family whose parents served in the Air Force. Such physical closeness was very rare in much of the U.S. and, I dare say, still is. I grew up watching home movies of us playing on the swing set with black children. 
Not many white children born in the 50s and 60s have that experience. I then moved to the South and got to see segregation up close. It wasn't pretty. As a white person, I am pretty much insulated from the issues that black people have to deal with. But my wife is black, and she lets me know when I'm being especially clueless. So much of what black people have to deal with is surprising to me, sad to say. I guess I'm a lot like many white people in that regard. I guess I'm upset on a moral, intellectual, and economic basis about how black people are treated in this country. It's indefensible, morally and intellectually, and it hurts our economy. A lot has changed for the better, but I'm not optimistic in the near term. I think we're centuries away from being in a good place. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Amanda Weinstein. I am white, uh, Polish, German, English, French, born in California, moved to Colorado, now in Ohio. My name is John Yang. I'm Chinese-American. I grew up in Chicago and was born in Taipei, Taiwan. My name is Lily Quiroz, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm Black, and this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Anna Smith is a multiracial woman living in Washington, D.C., executive director of the Workforce Investment Council of the District of Columbia, And she's got some very important thoughts about race to share. More often than not, the questions I receive are, what are you? What's your mix? Where are you from? Where are you really from? Um, And so it's it's racism in that it is the uh, understanding that I am different and the uh, potential assumptions or stereotypes that may come along with me being not white. But uh, I also benefit from not necessarily looking like a black woman, an Asian woman, a Latina woman. And um, I think that has somewhat insulated me from having um, uh, people engage with me in a a hyper-focused way that um, is based on assumptions and stereotypes. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Time to go again. And as we always do, I want to say thank you to some people. Micheline Bowman, Jocelyn Root, Roz Whitaker-Heck, Gina Baysmore, the Core family, Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler, Hagar Chamali, Lisa Weiner, Deanna Howell, Melissa Howell, Christian Bartolin. Thank you to Yuri Sack. And for the music, thanks to Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And most of all, thank you to you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.